Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now listen, all right? Every Friday you can hear this program on Lumpin' Radio. I send them two segments, all right? Each is 28 minutes. We have one half in the can here. I need 28 minutes of content for Lumpin' Radio. So, Ben, if you could, I'm going to start the timer. Please just don't curse for 28 minutes, and this will go on Lumpin' Radio. That'd be great. Thank you. No cursing, and my uh, distinguished guest has joined me, and I'm putting this out so he can hear it. No cursing. My distinguished guest has a real potty mouth. Yeah. So, D, uh, give us one more warning. Go ahead. Don't curse for 28 minutes. That's all, all right. I need. That's all I need. Timer on. The timer's the on timer. now. The Ben Jarofsky Show for Thursday, June 9th is brought to you by <laughs> SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J. O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. This little light of mine, I'm going <laughs> to let it shine. And the Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Thursday, June 9th, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this No One's Paying Attention Thursday, and here's why. Because no one's paying attention, folks. That's why. All right, let me just set this up briefly, uh, because I have a distinguished guest waiting, and uh, I don't want to keep him waiting too long. Uh, but uh, today's story headline uh, in the New York Times that I saw just brought home an issue that's been like really burning my brain for a while. All right. No, it's not about George Carlin. I think about other things than George Carlin. Although he's always somewhere in the back of my mind these days. My distinguished guest is one of the few people uh, in Chicago, other than myself and my wife, who's actually watched both episodes of the George Carlin documentary. So I'll probably uh, have a, at least a minute or two of conversation with him about that. But uh, this is kind of related to George Carlin in some ways, folks. Just follow me on this. Somehow or other, Elon Musk, the world's richest man, uh, the owner of Tesla, which is a company that manufactures electric cars, has become a hero to MAGA. I can't figure this out. I, I, I'm I, truly trying to understand this one, folks. All right. Why MAGA loves Elon Musk so much. He manufactures electric cars. He's made his fortune with electric cars. The consumers who buy electric cars are by and large liberals who believe climate change is real. And for whatever reason, you can make fun of them, whatever you want to do. But for whatever reason, they've decided an electric car is the way to go. It's particularly popular in California. I go to California all the time because my kids live there. Everybody's like driving electric cars in Cali. So this is a man who's made his fortune, his billions. He's the richest man in the world in part. Well, forget in part, to a large degree, because liberals are buying his cars. Moreover, he's been the beneficiary of all kinds of laws in all kinds of states in which you can exchange credits with companies that don't make environmental friendly products. So he could sell his credits that he has earned from the sale of his electric car to companies that pollute and pollute and pollute. This is like a free market way of dealing with climate change. Folks, I don't understand it because the total amount of crud put in the environment is basically the same. It's just that you enabled Elon Musk to make a fortune off of it. Nice job saying crud, by the way. That was good. Yes. That's good lumping material. <laughs> Somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm policing myself. George Carlin would be outraged. So I do not understand why this guy is a hero to MAGA, although I do understand it. Because he's smart enough to figure that if you say the right things to MAGA, you trigger them, and then they're yours forever. 
And that brings me to the headline uh, from the New York Times, which talks about the uh, attorney general in uh, Texas, a gentleman named Ken Paxton. And my distinguished guest would have a field day if he was covering politics in Texas with Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton is the attorney general in Texas, ladies and gentlemen. He's maggot to the core. He's one who sued in 2020 to overturn the election and give it to Trump, take it from Biden on some manufactured grounds that it was somehow or other a fraud. So he's MAGA to the core. He's also involved in all sorts of corruption matters, all kinds of extortion, blackmail, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah, we overlooked that MAGA, huh? Anyway, uh, he is embracing uh, Elon Musk as his hero. Uh, he is uh, going after uh, Twitter uh, as part of Elon Musk's effort to take a hold of Twitter. He's saying he wants to know, uh, Attorney General Paxton wants to know, he wants Twitter to turn over all the bots. I am curious, like, how many Twitter accounts are fake and phony. I actually kind of agree with that position. But it's so bizarre that the leader of MAGA in Texas has come to the conclusion that the way to divert attention from his own criminal investigations into the way he does business is to join forces with the man who's become the world's richest man by selling cars to liberals. And you know why he gets away with it, ladies and gentlemen? Because no one's paying attention. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest who is paying attention to absolutely everything that's going on in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. I don't know if he knows pays much attention to what's going on uh, in the state of Texas. His name is Gregory Pratt, and he's from the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back, Gregory. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I'm on my way to being the world's richest man, so I'm going to try to figure out something to sell to people that is completely hypocritical. Yes. If you want in, let's get in. <laughs> if you can figure out a way, I, uh, I'm with you 100%. I'm sick of being a broke. I was going to swear, but I'm really uh, – policing myself a broke reader writer uh all right so this is something i've been wanting to do for a while and i told uh greg that i would do it this uh morning and he was a good sport everybody who listens to this show or reads my columns or newsletters know uh that i'm not a twitter guy to put it mildly in fact the joke i always use if you want to keep me ignorant of something put it on twitter and so i'm still an, an old baby boomer i follow the news <laughs> greg's gonna laugh at this Newspaper cycle to newspaper cycle. Here's exhibit A, Greg. Okay. I got yeah. my tribune here somewhere. It's on the floor. And uh, home delivered tribune, uh, Greg. Yes. You're welcome, tribune employees. I am subsidizing you. Uh, and so I, I, I'm still in 24-hour chunks. I get confused. Like people will send me links to stories that I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't see that story. Where did that come from? And they go, uh, Ben, it did broke on the internet, you know, it, and then it lands in the actual newspaper the next day. So I, that's where I am. I make fun of myself. You can make join make, make making fun of me. But lately, I have to confess, I've been reading uh, Greg Pratt's Twitter feed. And I'm like, you know, I think it was like, because one of my uh, listeners uh, is a big fan of yours, Frank. Shout out to Frank. And he sends me a lot of your tweets. And I'm like, you know what? I could do this, too. You know what? I, mean? I can follow Greg Pratt on Twitter. So, Greg, about three or four times a day, I look and see what you've posted. And that's how I, <laughs> you know, I keep up with things. And I thought we would just go through and you do like a little annotation of your Twitter feed. Uh, some of your, you get into some, you know, gets a little fisticuffs, Twitter fisticuffs from time to time with people, kind of like that about you. Uh, but you also do breaking news uh, and um, funny news. And you're, now started making yourself a character in your own Twitter feeds, which I appreciate. Uh, that's the first step to becoming a columnist, which you will probably be one day. Um, so are you ready to take the deep dive on your Twitter feed? It's a dangerous journey into a dangerous mind, but let's do it. All right, here we go. First things first. Um, well, there's a shout out. Uh, okay. First things first, uh, I was going to do something controversial, but this thing just popped. So you've already popped something since the last time I looked at your Twitter feed. Uh, uh, much respect to more green. Who's going to a new adventure outside the Tribune, but will always be one of my favorite uh, Chicago journalists. Also great for, for your work. CT guild. Yes. Chicago Tribune guild. All right. Big union guy here, Greg uh, really helps stabilize and sharpen our fighting machine. So just, Briefly, just give us the background of that, because that's written in Twitter East. Uh, if you don't know 
at Moore Green. You have no idea who that is. So just a little explanation of that. Well, Morgan Green is this great reporter at the Tribune. She was also a great union thug and we, she's leaving the paper and I wanted to give her a shout out because as the president of the union, I can't do anything without all of us working together. And she's one of our top leaders. She's been a a fierce fighter. We have this terrible owner who we have to tell to uh, go to hell every once in a while. Hell I think is okay under lump and radio rules. And, uh, and so, you know, I appreciate her very much. Well, that was uh, really nice of you. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, the first time Greg came on the show, uh, he was in his capacity as union thugs slash uh, president of the union, uh, and talking about the hedge fund that acquired him. Uh, Greg and I could fill up a whole show talking about reporters dealing with owners, but let's just move on from that uh, topic for the moment, uh, and move to this one. This is political. This is breaking news that I didn't realize until I read it on your Twitter feed. And I probably would have uh, under normal circumstances, not known about it until I read it in the Tribune delivered tomorrow. Okay. Uh, Mayor Lori Lifewitz policy chief Dan Lurie is leaving City Hall soon. Uh, vacancies include deputy mayors for education and infrastructure, chief risk officer, bunch of law department positions. Lori led a lot of fights on progressive issues, including General Iron, including against General Iron. I'm going to ask you to uh, do uh, the specifics, but first I'm going to throw a trivia question at you, see if you can handle this. What high school did Dan Lori graduate from? Oh, that's a great question. I'm going to guess just, uh, and I, I suspect that he may not like it if this gets back to him. I'm going to guess like the Latin school. No, but that's not a bad guess. <laughs> uh, young Dan, I believe, is a gra- proud graduate of Evanston Township High School, where the finest brains in the Chicago area have graduated from. <laughs> I say that as a guy. Uh, I say that as a guy, uh, Greg, who flunked uh, chemistry at Evanston High School. All right. Um, so talk a little bit about the significance of Dan Lurie uh, in the Lurie Lightfoot administration and the significance of him leaving right on the eve. Well, it, it, we're heading into election season big time uh, for a mayor of the city of Chicago. Well, Lurie is is uh, is a sort of progressive guy. He's one of the progressives holding it down inside the administration. Uh, there's a lot of conflict there around environmental stuff. You know, the mayor is far more moderate. The mayor was, uh, you know, and the mayor and her administration were setting up uh, General Iron to uh, reopen in the southeast side, and there were people within the administration who were very opposed to that, including Lurie, including uh, – uh, the chief sustainability officer, Angela Tovar, who once wrote an email to the mayor telling her how she can uh, deny the permit. And the mayor got really mad at her for putting it in an email. So it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic there. And the broader thing about the text, the reason why, you know, I try not to get into them, the minutia of every staffer coming and going because it's one person's name on the door and that's Lori Lightfoot's. But um the mayor's office has struggled badly to replace people when they leave. And I think that that's a, that's a worthwhile thing to highlight because they would otherwise, you know, they're not going to advertise the fact that, you know, people aren't minding the store left and right. So I think that that's important to point out too. Now it does. And it's really easy to get confused listeners between Lori, Lori Lightfoot and Lori, Dan Lurie. So I'm going to put the Dan in front of it every time. Um, and uh, so the fact that he is a quote unquote progressive uh, in an administration that ran, <laughs> try uh, the irony here uh, of, of being a progressive uh, and is, I could say this safely has pretty much been um, abandoned by all anybody who really is a progressive in the city of Chicago. Uh, you could, you could debate me on that point, um, Greg. But the fact that uh, he is leaving, is that problematic for Lori Lightfoot uh, as she heads into re-election? Or is it just sort of ind- indicative that she has decided there's no way she can win as being associated with progressives and she's going sort of the law and order route? Well, she's going to she's gonna run as, as a progressive and she's going to run as an, a law and order type. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be, uh, you can see it, you can see it in, in the way she talked this week when she said, 
those people are guilty. The pe- people charged with violent crimes are guilty. They should be locked up indefinitely. Of course, they also have the right to a fair trial and to a presumption of innocence. And you're saying these two things that are totally contradictory because you're trying to appeal to both sides by saying something that appeals to them both. And, you know, the mayor, I don't think you have to be Bull Connor to believe that uh, that the justice system here is a little looser than it needs to be. I think I think uh, police aren't arresting people. The courts are letting dangerous people out. And I'm not talking about garden variety. I'm not saying people don't have a right to due process. There are absolutely some cases where some some guy's been involved with three shootings and is getting out on bail. And I really wonder why, you know, that at that point, you know, we're not even talking about one shooting. We're not talking about Ben Jarovsky got mad at Greg for being a bad guest. So he shot him. And, you know, the, the, there's now a threat. Is there a threat to other people or is there only a threat to bad guests? I don't know, but you, you know, um, I would say that if you shot me for that reason, you probably, uh, deserve at least some consideration of bail and atonement and uh but you get my point and so the mayor the mayor is going to run as a progressive and as a law and order candidate and that's really how she's governed in a lot of ways is i'm going to say these these two three four things that don't actually make a sandwich but you here's your sandwich yeah yeah, no, I uh, hanging over this, uh, and I don't know how far we want to go. By the way, I would never in a million years, for any reason, even if he was a terrible guest and he's not a terrible guest, shoot Greg <laughs> Craig. I just feel compelled to say that. It was just a, an example he was using there. Um, but, uh, no, I uh, we talk about this on the show uh, quite a bit, uh, Greg. Uh, it's almost every week have a conversation about uh, the abandonment of just even the concept of defunding the police. Uh, since the riots of 2020 and uh, the uh, backlash has occurred and we see evidence of it throughout the country. The most recent example is Chesa Bowden, uh, the uh, state's attorney in San Francisco being recalled. Uh, and uh, then you know, Eric Adams getting elected in New York city and a law and order platform. So we're seeing evidence of this uh, through throughout the country and, and Lori Lightfoot is pretty astute person. So I get, I, I get uh, what she's up to Um and yet the city of Chicago, I just want to point this out, Greg, has a horrific, horrific legacy of imprisoning uh, people on phony evidence, uh, often that's brought out by uh, torture. You know, I mean, we're still every year we're paying off settlements for that. So it it's a really it's one thing to try to play this game in San Francisco, which doesn't have the legacy of Chicago uh, Greg, but I think city, it's, it's kind of a dangerous game to play in the city of Chicago when we're still every year going, the, the mayor will be going before the city council asking him to approve settlements uh, for millions of dollars for, for police brutality cases. Go ahead. It was a pretty astounding comment, you know, to say that if you're charged, you're guilty because it, for obvious reasons, right? It's just, it's just an astonishing um it's an astonishing claim and it's an example where the mayor said the quiet part out loud, you know, cause you can say, you can say, okay, people are violent. They're charged with violent crimes. They shouldn't be let out. It's the exact same point uh, without having to say, without saying that they're guilty. If you believe that, that they're guilty by, by sheer virtue of being charged. Um, it, it, uh, I don't describe the mayor's comments as astonishing willy nilly, but it was an astonishing comment for those reasons. And, you know, she's not going to say it again. You know, I'm sure she, um, I'm sure she regrets. Uh, I would imagine she regrets mostly because she's got her advisors telling her, don't say that if they're charged, they're guilty. And she's like, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure she has been, uh, uh, chastened by her staff over that. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't, you know, would, uh, would need, would Anita Alvarez even say something like that? I don't know. Anita Alvarez. Yeah. So the former Cook County state's attorney was, uh, ousted by the voters in 2016, uh, in the aftermath of Luquan McDonald. And I would say this, that Lori Lightfoot would not be mayor today if it was not for the protests that have followed, uh, the, um, Laquan with the revelation of uh, the the, the uh, of the video um, 
in the, the forced release of the video, I should say. And so it is really bizarre. It's a weird world we live in, uh, Gregory Pratt. I'm not quite sure anybody is even trying to be consistent anymore. Uh, all right, let's get to this next text. This one really caught me off guard. Uh, and Or text, I should say tweet. Tweet. Yes. <laughs> Showing my age there, Greg. Um, we make fun of this guy all the time on the show. Uh, and uh, we call him Jump Shot Johnny Cass, and then we always have to point out that, no, we're not talking about one of the greatest uh, singers uh, in American history. That's Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, the man in black, with some of the great, well, he sang some of the greatest songs, not much of a songwriter. Johnny Cass, on the other hand, is this so far to the right columnist that he falls off the face of the earth. Uh, And Used to write for the Chicago Tribune, uh, left the Chicago Tribune, uh, and uh, is now a freelance. I've lost track of Johnny Cass since he no longer works for the Tribune. Kind of regret that because it was he was always fun to read and talk about. But uh, somehow or other, you have gotten into a bit of a uh, Twitter exchange uh, with uh, young Johnny, and uh, I will now read to you your uh, end of it, and then feel free to uh, explicate this for all our listeners, probably all of whom agree with you about <laughs> not a lot of Johnny Cass fans at the Ben Jarofsky show. All right, here we go. <clears throat> and this is what Greg wrote. Uh, and you re- I- I'm not sure of what it's replying to, but I'll read it and then you can take away. Delusional to think I'm going to respond to your wah-wah. By the way, for all the, I don't know if we could say this word, Dennis, on Lumpen, uh, I'll just spell it. C-R-A-P. You talk about Tribune and, quote, woke reporters, whatever that means. Make sure you remind your listeners how you've repeatedly praised my work over the years, including a few weeks ago. Oh, my God. Woke. Don't get me started on woke, but I'll let you uh, take it away. So explain what this is uh, all about. Take, go ahead, Greg. So uh, John Cass is a disgrace to our business and our profession. And so let's say that to begin with. And John used to be a Chicago Tribune columnist, which is fine. Uh, You know, um, he would write very conservative opinions, which again is fine. I don't have an issue with that. Uh, We should be publishing conservative opinions and liberal opinions and whatever. Um, He did some, he wrote, a really inflammatory piece about George Soros a while ago, and we called him out. And so we called him out after the um, American, the Anti-Defamation League called him out for having some anti-Semitic tropes in there about how, um, well, you know, the uh, George Soros is a Hungarian Jewish guy, and you know he controls all the prosecutors according to Cass, and so. It had some issues, and we we asked him for a conversation, and he got really mad because uh, somebody leaked the letter. It wasn't me, and uh, you know he's been crying that we tried to cancel him, which is not true. But then this guy, who was very well paid, took a buyout. He left the Chicago Tribune, and all he does is talk crap about how the Tribune is woke and the Tribune is liberal and the Tribune's reporters are bad. And lately, he's been encouraging people to walk away. So this imbecile. Uh, tweets his own website a few days ago, but he misspells his own name. <laughs> so I mostly ignore him. I don't follow him, but people send me his stuff every once Wait, in a while. Wait, hold like, on, hold on. His name is spelled K-A-S-S. He misspelled which part, the John or the Cass? Which part did Cass. he misspell? <laughs> he misspelled his last name. His name. <laughs> he spelled it, uh, you know, K-A-S. And so he, he misspelled the link to his website and, and I could not help myself because he had been saying a lot of crap about the uh, Tribune. I do believe that word is radio friendly, but uh, okay. I apologize. I'll pay the fine if it's not. Uh, I said that, uh, I said, John Cass misspelling his own name while plugging his website is rich. Meanwhile, the constant whining about Tribune is pathetic, but keep on crying and playing the victim. Good luck to you. And then I responded to myself and said, I added, um, my problem with this guy has never been personal or political. It's the fact he shamelessly rips on the newspaper. That's the only reason he was ever anybody at all. And what you saw was he responded to me with a link to his, his podcast, which is an hour 
of him breathing heavily into a microphone. <laughs> and I said, uh, and you know, that's when I said, you're delusional. If you think I'm going to listen to your wah, 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 uh, you know, and so that's it. And in general, I try not to get into fights with John Cass. He's not worth the time, but it, it deeply offends me that this, that this coward of a man who made a small fortune off of this newspaper, who has a position of influence because of it, you know, and what, whatever, uh, you know, you're similar, except uh, on the left. You know, you you're you're a vital part of of the reader. The reader has been gracious enough to publish you front and center for years and years, and the idea that someday you might leave and maybe you're unhappy, you know, maybe in five years you leave and it's not a happy end that happens, you know, hopefully you leave and it's a great end, but the idea that you would trash the institution on your way out would be pretty disgraceful. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. That's really classless. Uh, I, I, I've been in position. I was fired publicly by WCPT when I was on their airwaves uh, it hurt. It stung. And I felt, uh, I'd been um, set up in many ways, but on the other hand, to your point, uh, Greg, they hired me. It, they gave me a chance. I, I, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for the fact that Fred Eichner hired me and uh, there's as irritated as I was that he fired me. I had to re- recognize that he helped me. He hired me. he, Introduce me to the microphone. You got what I'm saying? And it's been a love affair ever since. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's totally classless. It, it's, and there's, I just believe left or right, you should, be, you should act with a certain amount of class. You should try for it. You got what I'm saying? Dad? And I just got to say this. I'm going to say this. Johnny Cass, you owe an apology. You owe an apology to Jewish people for your George Soros stuff. And you won't do it because I don't know, you're stubborn or proud. You think it's a, beneath you to apologize. You did jump aboard some pretty sleazy stuff and you did promote it. And then you acted like you didn't know it was bad. You know, you acted, then you acted dumb, which is even worse. Cause I thought you were supposed to be so smart, street smart, know how the game's played. Right. No, I got a cigarette dangling out of here. Well, you know, the, the other part of this, the part that's amazing and hypocritical to me is Cass used to be a big fan of my work. He would praise my columns. He would, he would praise my work in his columns on his podcast. You know, he liked and appreciated that I was tough on Tony Prickwinkle. He appreciates that I'm tough on Lori Lightfoot. In reality, I'm the journalist he thinks he is. You know, he thinks of himself as this truth-telling hard charger who is um, telling it like it is. And really, he's just, a, he's just an ideologue who has forgotten and what journalism is if he ever knew it in the first place. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, that's the other thing. I guess he, uh, uh, when, you, when you said, wait, wait, let me just finish my rant and riff. Uh, so what the, I would say there's, like I always get in trouble when you say the worst part about what so-and-so did is, you know, uh, it's that old Norm MacDonald joke, uh, Dennis knows what I'm talking about. But like the worst part about uh, Johnny Cash repeating the anti-Jewish comments about Soros was that he never apologized for it when it was pointed out to him that it was anti-Jewish. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's like he acted as though he, he never took accountability. No one in MAGA takes accountability for anything. This is me speaking, not Greg Pratt. No one in MAGA takes accountability for anything. They feel they have a right to say whatever they want, whenever they want it, no matter who they offend. And then they go, well, oh, come on. It's First Amendment protected. But God forbid you say anything remotely critical of them. And just like Greg Pratt said, they start sobbing like little babies. They cry more than Draymond Green. And I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. Draymond Green is powerful for the Golden State Warriors, ladies and gentlemen. Every time he's called for a foul, he starts crying. MAGA cries more than Draymond Green. There, I said I got it off my chest, uh, Greg. So is there anything else you want to say about this before I move on to the next uh, text, a uh, tweet, excuse me, uh, which is pretty funny actually. Uh, but is there anything else you want to say about young John Cass? No, you can, you can tell your listeners I'm holding up my hand and giving him the Mutza. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I, I got to tell you, man, he was there in that tribune. He, that is really classless Cass. I mean, come on. They paid you good money to give you a, you had a sidekick. What calmness? You had some guy doing the work. I mean, I don't know any calm. I've been working for the reader for 50,000 years. I did it all by myself. 
I never gave. Oh, Ben, we're going to give you a leg man. Oh, wow. You have some, they paid for your leg man. You didn't have to do the work. The guy did all the work or the woman, whoever it was. <laughs> wow. Absolutely disgraceful. All right. Uh, I could go on and on. All right. Here we go. That a funny uh, mayor Lightfoot. I, this is, this is, this is pretty funny. If you, this will get, we'll do the, the deep dive on this one. Uh, mayor Lightfoot says she has great conversations and texts with Sarah Feigenholz, uh, stops herself quote. Don't say that. Don't say texting in front of Pratt. What am I doing? Mayor Lori Lightfoot, can I just tell you something? I've been watching a lot of George Carlin lately. You're right up there. Okay. You're right. <laughs> I think Chappelle, Carlin, Pryor, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, Eddie Youngman, Lori Lightfoot. Great, great comedian. All right. There's a whole backstory. And there's, first of all, Sarah Feigenholz is state senator, Sarah Feigenholz. Uh, and uh, so do the backstory, Greg, because, you know, I'm going to take the deep dive here. So go ahead. Well, I'm, 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 um, I FOIA for a lot of the mayor's text messages every month with, with interesting figures and have written some stories that uh, sometimes they're interesting, sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're flattering, sometimes they're unflattering about how the mayor interacts with other people who are powerful and who they get stuff done. And I thought this was a funny little moment at her fundraiser or at her campaign stop at Sidetrack in the in. North Halstead, as they call it now, Boys Town, as it used to be called, where uh, she had this moment of self-awareness uh, where she said, don't say that. What am I doing? And I thought it was very funny. Uh, yes. Uh, w- were you in the audience when she said this? Yeah, yeah. And she she looked at me and I laughed and she laughed. And it was, uh, I'll tell you what, though, I, I almost, uh, I very shortly thereafter filed a FOIA for the text messages with Sarah Feigenholt. So we'll see, we'll see if they're any good. All right. So let's talk about that a little bit. I'm fascinated by this. Uh, and this is part of the reason uh, that I'd said, you know, I better start following uh, Greg's Twitter page because I'm not sure that all of your revelations appear in articles. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I, I'm not a hundred percent. They do some, some you um, reserve for Twitter. Uh, so talk about the process of gathering uh, the mayor's uh, texts, what you have to do to get them, what kind of resistance you get uh, and uh, what some of the more interesting texts have been. So go ahead. I just, I just say, you know, I'm curious, what does the mayor text to governor Pritzker and what does he text to her? What does she text with, with, uh, Ken Griffin. In Ken Griffin's case, there are none. But I just say, who are all these big, powerful people? And I ask for them. And then they uh, they give them to me, sometimes a little slowly. Um, I always ask for all the aldermen. I always ask for, for the governor. And then we move forward. And it's not a... Uh, we had to threaten to sue them because they were not producing them and they were dragging their feet and they were ignoring my request more or less. And we said, no, we're going to, we're going to sue you. I mean, we're entitled to these text messages. And uh, I try to be uh, somewhat judicious. I don't just ask for things totally randomly. Uh, I, I have a lot of curiosity about who she's texting and why, but you know, I've never said, give me her text with Ben Jarofsky. I'm sure they're, uh, uh, scintillating, you know, but, uh, but, um, actually I would guess that there are none, but, uh, but it's, it's, a it's a very, it's just a, it's just a thing I do every month. It's, uh, on the first of every month I ask for her, her email log for the previous month. And then I go through them and then I ask for a whole bunch of, uh, text messages. So, all right, help me Rhonda here. Um, and uh, I'm going to put play devil's advocate here. Uh, is are there any texts that uh, Lori Lightfoot would send out uh, that are not, in your humble opinion, uh, for public consumption? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I mean, if I don't know, Alderman Alderman Jarovsky's <laughs> daughter got COVID, and the mayor texts. Alderman Jarofsky, hey, I'm sorry your daughter got COVID. I hope she gets better. Of course, you know, uh, I don't mind them redacting that. I I, I usually, uh, you know, there there's certain things that they, they are entitled to some semblance of privacy, you know, sometimes when it comes to certain things. I'm only interested in public business. Um, they might sometimes try to 
just uh, narrowed it down in a way that is not right. But of course they, they have a uh, public interest and public rights, you know, and, and uh, there's a difference between public and private. And, uh, and of course it exists, you know, like I've never, uh, Rahm Emanuel used to do a straw man when people talked about his email and he would say, do you think you're entitled to my emails with my children? And it's like, well, no, not unless they're lobbying or something, you know, but, but no, nobody thinks your kids are lobbying you, you know, no, nobody. Uh, so let's cut, let's cut the nonsense on this. And so, um, that's a long answer to a short question in general, though, you know, she's not, she's not texting all, most aldermen because they're buddies. She's texting them because they're colleagues. Yeah. And so this is her personal and just for the record, ladies and gentlemen, if he were to FOIA my uh, text with Lori, there would be none because uh, I don't even have her phone number. Uh, are there any texts between you and Lori? Have you ever texted back and forth with the mayor, Mayor Lightfoot? Uh, yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, um, I'll say thank you for your time today. If we had an interview, you know, mostly politeness. I believe in polite. I believe in respect. I think, uh, uh, I've always been cognizant that um, that uh, me and the politician, no matter who it is, are not friends. And we might get along or we may not get along, but it's a professional relationship always. And so I've always been judicious about when I contact the mayor or what I contact the mayor about because um, uh, she's busy. I respect her time, you know, and in general uh, – uh, in general, it's not, um, it's not, it, you don't want to be too cozy and you also don't want to be too cynical. So it's a fine line to draw, Absolutely. but I've always, um, and you know, the more powerful the person gets, the more important it is for you to keep that healthy balance. Yeah. Uh, and the, actually the more powerful they get, it's really hard, uh, to keep like a personal I mean, I was able, I, no secret here, everybody knows this. Uh, I always had a friendship with Karen Lewis. We were friends before she became a big shot with the Chicago Teachers Union, so we were going to be friends afterwards, you know, and that's just kind of how she was anyway. Even if she didn't like something I wrote, she would call me up and give me grief. See how I said that, Dennis? I censored myself. Uh, well, she would, <laughs> well done, I know. I almost said the wrong word. Uh, she would give me, because she would say it. Uh, but so it's a, it's a balancing act of sorts. And then after a while I did, why, why pretend in my opinion, uh, this is my case, Greg. Cause <laughs> I, I mean, I was so much respect and love for Karen Lewis. Who was, who, who was I going to kid that I didn't, you know, it's, I don't have that respect or love for a mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, <laughs> but I don't have any relationship with, with her. I remember when, um, Mick Dumkey and I, back in the days when Mick used to work for uh, the reader, we he was Mr. F uh, Foya. God, he was so good at it. And he foyered uh, Mayor Rahm's appointment um, uh, calendar. This is long before people started doing it. He got the idea. I don't know how he did it, but whatever, he did it. And then we did a whole story about who's Mayor Rahm meeting with. And, our, and there were some reporters. And that was tough. Like, oh, God. Because we were calling everybody like, you know, like we'd see uh, Billy Bob's name on the on the list. So we call Billy Bob and go, hey, Billy Bob, why were you meeting with Mayor Rahm? So we had to call reporters, you know, like, what? why were you meeting with and Mayor Rahm? Would, you know, then he got slick and started editing his calendar. Uh, Greg thought he was slick. But in the early days, he never thought anybody would go after it. And so then you'd have to call a reporter. And you know, that was a, kind of an awkward interview, by the way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, and you don't. um uh I think I do a pretty good job of not cozying up to people or the appearance of cozying up. But I think that, uh, it's easier said than done to be a beat reporter. You know, it is, it is, you know, people might say, Oh, if I was the beat reporter, all I would ever do is tell the, tell the mayor, any mayor that they suck and tell the head of CPS that they suck. And it's like, you know, life is far more complicated than that. Absolutely. I can't emphasize this enough. And I know this from the world of sports. I'm a huge sports fan, as everybody knows. Uh, Dennis tries to keep me from talking sports in this because listeners only want to hear politics. But I'm obsessed with basketball. And I read all the beat writers on basketball. Uh, and then I read the fans' response to them. And you should be harder. I'm like, you don't go into the locker room face-to-face -face with people. You, you get what I'm saying, Greg? You don't go in there and just have like a civil discourse with someone 
you, you know, there's you, you criticize a guy for having a bad game, but you don't have to malign him. And I don't know. Well, I just think that, go ahead. Here's a good little story. So yesterday, uh, Alderman Derek Curtis uh, held a fundraise, held a campaign breakfast for the mayor, you know, kick off her thing. I get there. I'm hanging out. I'm talking to people. I'm watching what's happening. I noticed that Derek Curtis's uh, government staffers are in attendance wearing their 14 or their 18 Ford T-shirts with the city of Chicago logo. And I say, well, what's going on? Because there's some rules around politicking on government time. And then uh, and then I was notified by, I tweeted about it, and then a source notified me that he had sent out an official invitation to this campaign event, purely political, on his city email to his city uh, email base. That is a bright, uh, a no-can-do. That is a problem. So, you know, I wait for the event to end, and I pulled Alderman Curtis to the side, and I said, uh, you know, I noticed this. What's going on? And he gave me an answer. He doesn't look good in the story. You know, I put it in the story. I put it on Twitter. I talked to him. And, you know, who I asked the ethics board if there was an issue, and they said we're going to investigate it. Uh, the alderman very likely is going to get at least a slap on the wrist for the email. The email was not good. His explanation for his, his city staffers being there is that he closed his office so that they could staff the campaign events. Uh, I wouldn't like that if I'm a constituent of the 18th Ward. But uh, we'll see what the FX board says about that. But you know, uh, it wasn't the it wasn't the alderman's finest moments. But I don't have to uh, I don't have to be a jerk about it to write about it or to ask him about it. And and you know, so it, it is what it is. But our job is to, uh, and that doesn't mean I haven't had some heated conversations in person or over the phone with the mayor. Uh, you know, she's yelled at me at press conferences, and I've uh, let her know how I think about that too. You know, but. Um, being tough is not about thumping your chest and having smoke come out of your ears. Uh, to that point, the and I've learned this from uh, Greg's uh, Twitter account. Uh, the uh, pinned tweet at the top of his Twitter. <laughs> the pinned tweet, all right? How about that, huh? Huh, listeners? I know what a pinned tweet is. This is so classic. We could do a whole show on this. Uh, so I really don't want to take the deep dive in this particular tweet, but just because this follows right what Greg just said. Uh, and uh, the pin tweet from February 28 uh, says a colleague sent me this 2020 email from Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. I could teach a journalism class about it and you absolutely could. Uh, and it is a tweet that I'm looking at this right now uh, from uh, Michael Crowley who was some mucky muck for the mayor back in the day. I don't think he works here anymore, does he? Or am I no, right? Or... Director. Say that again. He was the communications director. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't bad. No, <laughs> I just laughed because they come and go. Um, and this is a, this is a uh, email he sent to a whole bunch of people, uh, including my old friend, Joanna Klonsky is on this email. What's up, Joanna? I know you're listening to this. Uh, and uh, he writes, I'm just reminding this group for the foreseeable future, there will be nothing given uh, as placed story. <laughs> I'm laughing. This is so stupid. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. This is the dumbest email anybody ever wrote. It's, uh, it's, it's actually nothing. the mayor's email and she, and Michael responded to it. What you're reading is the mayor's email. Oh, you're right. My bad. I humbly apologize. Michael Crowley. <laughs> I apologize to you. <laughs> I'm like, this is the dumbest email ever. <laughs> The mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, come on. You got to be better than this email. All right. I apologize, listeners. This is from the person you elected as your mayor. So from here on out, it's like the character Bananas, an ancient movie that nobody's ever seen. It's a Woody Allen movie, so no one's really going to see it anymore. <laughs> but in that movie, he, there's a, he plays his dictator, and he just announces one day, from here on out, everybody's going to have to wear their underwear outside their pants. Everybody's wearing their underwear else. Anyway, so that's this kind of uh, pronouncement. So this is a pronouncement from Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Heads will roll if you don't uh, obey this. I'm just uh, reminding this group for the foreseeable future, there will be nothing given as play stories or friendly background <laughs> uh, to Greg Pratt. If he makes an inquiry, answer it briefly as possible. But under no circumstances is anyone to give him anything from 
proactively. Are we clear? That's my favorite part. Are we clear? Man, see, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, what you did with that email, any self-respecting reporter in the city of Chicago would never take your leaks because then you look like a freaking flack, you know? I mean, you've identified, you've already said to the world that we're not giving any leaks to Greg Pratt. Because he's too much of an independent bulldog when it comes to covering us, which means, Greg Pratt, anybody who they feed their mushrooms to looks like a flunky. Am I correct in my analysis of the mayor's email, Greg Pratt? Uh, I think that the mayor was blowing off some steam and... uh... Uh, it is a counterproductive email that she sent. It's a counterproductive idea. Whether whether you love me or not, at a particular moment, I co- I cover the I cover your office for. If you're the mayor, I cover your office for the biggest newspaper in town. You can't shut me out, and it's counterproductive to just have me out there talking to people without any sort of attempt from you to influence me. It's just it's it's not the it's not the most thought out. Uh, email and as i pointed out um you know and i pointed that out in a little thread in response to it it's just it's just not a good email from their pr perspective but it's a great email for my street cred (laughs) you know it is that's why it's it's and that's why ladies and gentlemen it's a pinned tweet okay not just some regular tweet it's a pinned tweet okay uh and uh hey if she had tweeted something out about or emailed something about me I would have pinned it too, except I don't have Twitter. So other than that, I would have pinned it. I would have pinned it on my wall. I still, Greg Pratt, and this kind of relates to you. I'll show you. I know you don't believe me, but I'm going to show you. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see this, but Greg Pratt can. This is a, a, a copy of the press release that Lori Lightfoot sent out uh, her on December 15, 2020, about Anjanette Young, where she said, I became aware of incident involving Anjanette Young. And I saw the video today for the first time. I had no knowledge of either until today. I keep that here, Greg, just to remind me that I live in the city of Chicago and mayors don't always tell the truth. So it's very helpful. Uh, We're not going to redo that one. You came on the show once before, but you had a a run with Lori on the issue of Anjanette Young. I think she had to apologize. Am I correct on that? Am I correct on that one? I think... uh... As far as I'm tracking it, I think the mayor has apologized to two people as mayor in public, and one was Anjanette Young and one was me. Wow. Uh, all right. Uh, we are running out of town uh, time, and uh, Greg Pratt's got a lot of other things he has to do today. I appreciate him giving all this time, but I'm not going to let you leave without getting your just millennialistic thoughts uh, on the great George Carlin. Every guest who's come on this show has been asked about this. I told you that already. Uh, and you're the first guest who's actually seen both episodes. I can't urge people enough uh, to watch uh, these episodes on HBO. Two-part documentary about the life of the great George Carlin, one of the most influential uh, comedians of, I don't know, the last 50 years, no, no doubt. So just your takeaway thoughts, obviously his career uh, was in full bloom long before you were paying attention. You're really too young to have watched him in real time. Uh, but your millennialistic thoughts about uh, the legacy of George Carlin. Uh, big fan. I think one of the things that's interesting is the way people sort of try to distort his views and say, oh, George Carlin would be this today. He'd be that today. You know, like uh, um, he was a very complicated guy, but he had some real core values. Right. And I think that, um, you know, the idea that he would have been, you know, there's people out there who seem to think he'd be a MAGA guy because of the seven deadly words or something, not the seven deadly words, uh, the seven words you can't say on television, you know, it's like, um, and this is a non sequitur, but one of my nerdy things is I'm a big fan of U.S. President Harry Truman, which we could probably talk about for a long time. And, you know, people, conservatives will come out and say he'd be a Republican today. He'd be this or that. And it's like, no, he wouldn't have, you know, because he was part of, part of the reason why the Dixiecrats left the Democratic Party and became Republicans. And he he stayed with the party. He was the guy who desegregated the armed forces, who 
a push for universal health care in 1948 and all these pretty lefty things. Now, you know, whether the guy was as stubborn as a Missouri mule or whatever it is that, that they like to talk about, it's just this kind of silly notion that people have. And the way people try to reinvent people's legacy, and that's how I tie it with the George Carlin thing, is very interesting. You know, it's like um, I don't pretend I, I have no idea and I don't have a political stake in the matter of like, what would Thomas Jefferson think today? I think Thomas Jefferson would be in awe of the fact that, you know, he doesn't have to have fake teeth and that he doesn't, you know, that he has this big porcelain bowl that he can poop on is what I think that he would be in awe of and all of these other things. And so uh, transposing people's views is really hard and um, you should enjoy people for who they are and what they are. And George Carlin was the man. I agree with everything you said. And actually, uh, just so you know, when it happens, don't accuse me of stealing your idea. But I was all set to write a column on that very topic. If George Carlin were alive today, that's been on my mind. It's burning. Like, you know, sometimes these column ideas, I just I can't wait to write them. And this is one I'm really want to write because I'm going to address that topic. Uh, and you hit it right on the head. Uh, this Everybody sees how brave he was. And they want they want to like be viewed as brave. You get what I'm saying? Because they want to be like George Carlin. And and, and the, that, that bit that you cited, seven uh, words you can't say in television, that became the source of a Supreme Court case where they ruled against George Carlin. Ultimate freedom of expression case. Can you, This gets to the point, the gag we've been doing on this show, Greg. Can you say swear words on the radio airwaves? The answer is don't. <laughs> Dennis weighs in. Don't. We're so close to the finish line. And George Carlin lost that case. And I can't imagine a MAGA judge ruling with George Carlin on that case. And they they won't even let you talk about slavery and and the or uh, gays in the Florida school system. You know what I'm saying? So this is fresh on my mind. Thank you for raising that topic. All right, Greg Pratt is his name. Any uh, closing thoughts you want to give, Greg, before I let you go back to your day? No, people should keep subscribing to The Reader. They should subscribe to The Tribune. They should follow me on Twitter. They should uh, read widely, think deeply, and eat tacos. Okay, in that order? Uh, All right, very good. Greg Pratt, uh, I think we're going to make this a regular feature. Greg Pratt's Twitter page. It was a lot of fun for me, and I thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, Thank you, sir. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this should be possible. And as Gregory Pratt will tell you back home on Alton, I call him Dr. D, and the D stands for DeMarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Peace.